This podcast is brought to you by the OBSBOT Tiny 2, an AI-powered webcam with amazing clarity and features. Use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 5% off this device and support Moore's Law is Dead. But also support Moore's Law is Dead by using the offer code BROKENSILICON for 10% off Vite Ramen or the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Windows keys at cdkeyoffer.com. You can also use DieString to get 3% off everything else on that website, and we'll talk about these supporters later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I am joined by my co-host, Dan. How's it going, Dan? Uh, aside from uh, living in a smog cloud, pretty good, I suppose. <laughs> I it, like When I asked you that, I, I thought in my head just, oh, if Dan doesn't bring it up, ask him how, since he's in Massachusetts, how the smog goes. Is it... You sent me a picture a few days ago because I don't yep. really have any constant points of reference. I was like, I don't know. It seems like you can see across your apartment complex. What, what is? No, what am I supposed to be seeing? That is it was worse a- than that? That was actually from my lab. But um, nor so normally, uh, so the picture I sent you, uh, it's hard to tell what it is because it just looks the the smoke is white. So like. It kind of just looks cloudy out, but <laughs> in right. the picture, it looks but, slightly cloudy in a low res picture to me. Yeah. So essentially, I can usually like see mountains around where I work, and I, there were no visible mountains. And uh, I basically could only see slightly off campus before uh, it became completely unclear. And then when you go outside, it's like kind of looks like a mix of sunny and cloudy at the same time. Uh, so I've been trying to limit the amount of time I go outside uh, for the past several days. And uh, it rained today, at least. So the air quality was a bit better than it has been, at least. Yeah, there's been like these like here in Nashville, torrential downpours once a day that last 10 minutes. And that's just been <laughs> clearing out air quality, you know, basically every day down here. I mean, a couple weeks ago, there was a slight slight orange tint to the sky and some haziness but nothing like the 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 dune or blade runner vision that i've seen in um in, in like new, york. new york well and also supposedly one day in peoria where we used to live you know but you're in massachusetts it you don't have the dune vision right just, just no like- it's it's not that bad i think uh based on the newest podcast i listened to it we were in the dangerous if you have breathing issues for most of the time but if you don't you're probably fine but i've been staying inside to be safe as much as i can mm-hmm. well yeah because you you used to have asthma but you you really haven't for like a decade now have you i don't know if I, that's just a thing i outgrew because i which I, i've I, asked I, a doctor about that he's just out of curiosity once he's like oh, no some people outgrow asthma it does happen yeah I, I, mine was stimulated i think by my best get because all of my bad asthma attacks were like in fall. My best guess was, or a teacher once suggested that it could be like corn dust or something like that. I'm like, eh, maybe. <laughs> oh, and maybe corn dust bothers you more than because you know you typically come here to Tennessee to my house for Thanksgiving every year now. 
Tennessee is known for having a lot of pollen, but you've never been bothered. I guess maybe not during that time, though. You know, you've never yeah. been bothered by it, have you? Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't had issues with it for a while, though. So, <laughs> yeah. So as far as we can tell, you can survive the new Blade Runner world we're living in um, and, and just in general here in Nashville. I mean, it really hasn't gotten as bad. There's really no evidence from what I'm reading that it's ever going to get as bad down here. Like it might be just far enough. Mm-hmm. where it never quite reaches there. But uh, if it does, I'm sure we will talk about it as we waffle around at the beginning of some <laughs> upcoming Broken Silicon. But besides saying that, I guess the only thing I would say uh, before we get into the stories is uh, me and my girlfriend put in an offer on a house. It seems mm-hmm. like it might go through. And mm-hmm. so I guess what I'm saying is expect by this fall a much larger studio to be happening uh, that will allow even more, uh, even better organized and really more dynamically shot videos, I think, for the channel. So I'm really excited about that. But until that happens, expect a lot of different backgrounds and chaos, possibly, (laughs) and what's going on in this channel. And, you know, I actually want to put this on screen. Um, One of my contributors was talking to me about, like, you know, how people do GPU reviews. And he stumbled across my 6700 XT review. I was like, you know, this one was pretty good. I think I like your different approach to reviewing. And I noticed it was when I was in uh, our parents' basement in Bloomington because I had sold my house in Peoria and was moving to Nashville. And it was just me in a blank room because they were about to move out of yep. Bloomington, <laughs> Illinois. And you can just see me like on the ground in front of a bed with Reese sleeping in the background. I forgot those were the two weeks or something where there were just not the best acoustics and me in a blank vanilla room with Reese sleeping on the bed every video. <laughs> but I, I think it added some fun to it. It was actually a fun week just editing videos on a bed on the ground like a FBI agent in a gritty movie with my dog. This is all the wife left me. <laughs> this is all the wife left me, but I have time to buy a bed frame Well, those women are being murdered. <laughs> Anyways, though... Uh, yep. So, you know, a lot of changes coming to Moore's Law is that again, this will be another transitionary period where we become an even larger and better produced channel. And, uh, I'm really excited about it, but I think now it's time to stop just talking and bantering and get into something that I am not that excited to talk about for the 100th time with story. Number one, RTX 4060 reviewed and released. On June 28th, NVIDIA launched yet another 8-gigabyte card absolutely to no fanfare, the RTX 4060. Although this writer has to be honest, even though it is disappointing, it seems to be more disappointing than expected. In summary, the 4060 roughly ties the 7600 in performance, slightly winning in 1080p, slightly losing in 1440p, which I want to talk about that. That points to something interesting, I think. It is, of course, also more efficient than the RX 7600. That really shouldn't surprise anybody, considering this is only slightly bigger than a 1050 Ti in die size, and it's on 4 nanometer, whereas the 7600 is on 6 nanometer. And one thing that really doesn't need to be noted, it doesn't seem to have a notable ray tracing advantage over the 7600. Uh, Even though the 7600 costs 10 to 20% less, And even features like DLSS 3, which NVIDIA wants to use to market the card, seems to have extra issues over other products in their lineup because, as some reviewers I watched noted, DLSS 3, although it's not using really much computational power to generate frames, is using more VRAM to fill in 
those generated frames, meaning an eight gigabyte card really can't benefit from DLSS 3 as much in a lot of recent titles as the other cards can. So the DLSS 3 doesn't work as well with this card. It doesn't ray trace better than RDNA 3. <laughs> and there you go. The 4060 is just terrible. And it's pretty clear that NVIDIA knew it would be. Without naming any names, several YouTubers took an early review bribe from NVIDIA to do a canned cyberpunk benchmark before legit reviewers were allowed to give their input. But ultimately, it doesn't seem to really matter. Early sales data that I'm receiving for this card is bad. Probably not as bad as 4060 Ti sales. Remember, the 4060 Ti had the worst launch that I've seen in modern memory. And the 60 series, both the Ti and the 60, are supposed to sell well. I think someone told me before that the 4060... Oh, God, I don't remember the number. I think someone said it was like 40% of a generation sales, at least, maybe 60%. And now this is one of the worst launches in the entire generation, which is just crazy. Yeah. Um, but as leaked by Moore's Laws last week, the cards people are buying instead of a 4060 or 4060 Ti seem to be in the top end. 7,900 XTXs and XTs, now that they've been discounted. Uh, 4070 Ti's for some reason. And... RDNA 2 and sub $300 3060s in the low end. Uh, nobody wants any of this new bullshit that NVIDIA is wanting, has launched because you can call it new if you want to, but this new mid-range card, as I noted in my analysis video for it, can't even beat a $400 PS5 that launched in 2020 in performance. All right, Dan, what do you think about the RTX 4060? Uh, it's... <laughs> It, add another card that you shouldn't buy to the pile of cards you shouldn't buy in 2023. Like, like you said in your video, it, it's ever changing at this point because they're clearing out like the final stocks of RDNA two, I think, but 60 series cards are the best you can get right now at this level of, uh, I, I've level seen of new ones for 270 and it's like, yeah, 270, it is weaker than a 7600 by probably 10 to 20%, but it has 12 gigabytes of RAM and can use DLSS. And yeah, I think a 270, 3060 is a fine entry level card at this point. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's just both the, well, the 7600 is going to drop to 250. The 4060, kind of is already, yeah. The 4060 will probably drop in price too unless they insist on keeping the prices high which is stupid to me because nobody wants them and they nobody justifiably wants them I, I, <laughs> so i guess while they're clearing out the last of the 60 series stock go and buy it get a used 3060 if you can if if uh because those are like 220 now or something now, we'll see if something changes here too but right before we started recording i checked new egg and it does seem like not only, like we noticed a month ago, the 6710 gigabytes seems to be drying up in supply, the 6700 XT all of a sudden seems to be as well. And this is a similar thing that we've seen with a lot of recent releases, where all of a sudden, even though a card just came out, another card starts selling better because everyone waited, saw what was going to come out, the 4060, the 7600, and everyone said, yep, $300, 6700 XT is $270, or on eBay, like $220. 30, 60, 12 gigabyte cards. This is what everyone thinks they should get if they're on a budget. Yeah, which, I mean, I, I suppose waiting until everything comes out makes sense, but eh, I, when one is going to be out of production soon, or when a card is going to be out of production soon, if you think it's the best thing you'll be able to get for a while, eh, you might want to jump on it before you wait for a card that you know is going to be bad. <laughs> right, and, and that's something 
you know, the 7600, it was create a lot of people are like, why does this exist? Like they launched it at 270 because that's a little more than what most 6650 XTs are currently priced at. It's a little better. And then over time, that's going to gravitate to 250 or 230. And that's it. That's just a replacement for Navi 23. And they'll probably be selling tons of $200 6600s below that for a very long time because I've heard they have a lot of stock of that. But otherwise, I mean, everything else above that's starting to dry up. Like the 6700 XT was not as overproduced as Ampere. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I warned everyone, you know, get the 6700 as long as it's like 270 and then get the 6700 XT as long as it's below 350. If you're going to want to get one of these cards, guys, they're going to be gone soon. I don't, I don't think anything's launching that beats it unless there's a chance a 7600 16 gigabyte comes out. But even then, what are you? Well, it's a little weaker than a 6700 XT more RAM. It's like you're getting a better deal. It's just an alternative deal that's not out yet. So just if you see 6700 XT is new for th- around 300, I, I don't think they're going to be around much longer because the 4060 no. is not swaying anyone into getting that. It's honestly all of these cards, the 4060 Ti, the 7600 and the 4060 are about 10% worse, at least than I thought they'd be. It seems like the mm-hmm. way sources portrayed them was in the best light, which happens. And the only good thing we can say out of those three is at least the 7600 was also at the bottom of the pricing options. So, but everything else is kind of a little weaker than we expected and really not worth talking about, honestly. I really, and you know, speaking of not worth talking about, I, I looked at like views for like 40, 60 videos, not very high views <laughs> compared to the other reviews of the past six months. So I don't even think people care about these things ahead of, before, ahead of the launch compared to other cards as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, they're not at a new level of performance. They don't really offer anything new that's cool. The best, thing that DL uh the, the 4060 might have offered uh versus uh like older entries is I don't know maybe better DLSS and uh ray tracing but it's kind of a wash on it because it doesn't really work that well <laughs> with the amount of RAM it has runners. and and the card's so weak it doesn't even seem to ray trace better than the 7600 on average which is hilarious the 7600 has worse ray tracing components in the silicon than the upper mm-hmm. cards have per CU so I don't know. It's just what a joke. And and I, I'm just stuck here wondering like how it might be a video I do in a month. You know, once I actually have the dust settles, I have time to talk to people because I'll tell you guys a month ago, my AIB distributor and sales contacts, not all of them, a lot of them actually, yeah, a lot of like retailers thought the 4060 was going to be a bust, but a lot of AIBs were hoping the 4060 would pick up the slack left by the 4060 Ti. Like, they knew ahead of time the 4060 Ti was going to get bad reviews, but they were like, well, maybe eight gigabytes at 300 and with a Lovelace sticker on it. Maybe we can pitch a tent on that and really rest on that being the high volume seller of this gen. I wonder what AIBs are going to say about it, because I think a lot of them are going to if we all have to see. I still don't have like a percentage comparison in sales volume, but if it's even remotely close to the 3060 Ti's sales bombing, I wonder if a lot of AIBs are going to actually start worrying about how their quarter is going to go. Cause I think a lot of them were resting their hat on this being the Lovelace card. Everyone gets besides a 4090. Yeah. I mean for them, like hopefully they can drop the price to like 270 or something and still be making money off of it. But <laughs> well, I think they can honestly. I, well, I don't know. I don't know what the bomb cost exactly is. I know that the 7,600 from what I was told was built to be easily profitable below 300, maybe even at 250. 
and they just launched at the price they thought was safe. Uh, so I know the 7600 can go down in price, but I guess I really don't know if the 4060 can. But considering it is half the die size of the 3060, and that launched for 330 with 12 gigs of RAM, I have to believe the 4060 can get to 250 if it needs to. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know where the price the prices on either of those cards are going to settle. Like like you said, 230 sounds possible for the 7600. Maybe it's 250. But based on everything about the 4060, it's like what $10 worth $10 more than the 7600 maybe. That's oh, right so you're saying just to kind of like end this conversation. All right, we think it sucks, but how much more would you pay for it? Yeah. I, I, I think I would pay a little more because DLSS two is a little better than FSR, and because it only has eight gigabytes, maybe you're not using DLSS three, but you're going to be using DLSS whenever you can. Um, but yeah, I guess I'd pay twenty dollars more, and people would go, "Well, whatever, why not thirty? And I'm like, "Because they're all eight gigabyte cards, and you're going to be turning down settings no matter what. And once you turn down settings, I think these cards are more than strong enough to handle it. Just keep in mind you're going to have to." So. I pay twenty bucks more. If one's two fifty, I pay two seventy, and and it does use less energy. That's not nothing to me. Yeah, the thing sips power because it's almost like it's a fifty Ti. Huh? <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess I pay twenty dollars more. Pretty All much right. just that's it. And I don't even think I make it a percentage at that point. I just say it's worth twenty dollars more. If one's two fifty and one's two seventy, if they're the same price, get the forty sixty. But I wouldn't pay thirty dollars more. I mean, it's you know, and and I continue to say a one eighty sixty six hundred. I mean, if you can't afford to push your budget to like a 6800 XT or like there's sometimes a used 6800 for like 300 or 350, you can't push your budget that far. Then every 20 bucks must matter. I can assure you most games, you won't tell the difference between a 6600 even in all these cards. Yeah, I mean, that's so true. just get a 6600 at 180 is still my recommendation. If for some reason you can't get a 6700 XT for 300 or whatever. Or, yeah, or like you said, get lucky and find like a 6800, although I think those are getting more uncommon. Yeah. Um, Deadeye117 writes in and says, I have a theory on why we have seen such a generally disappointing level ace lineup. What do you think about this? NVIDIA saw the AI boom kicking off, Ampere oversupply, economic recession, and AMD dropped the ball a bit with RDNA 3. And then based on this, they took the whole product stack, bumped it down a tier in terms of die config that they received, and tried to justify it with DLSS 3, the strategy beam. They don't need the consumer GPU sales this gen, and they're still competitive with AMD, so they are banking the generational uplift they could have had to use a bit later instead. Now, if the AI bubble pops or cools off, or if AMD just kills it with RDNA 4, then NVIDIA has set expectations so low that they just have the ability to roll out a two-generation worth of performance uplift at once for most of the tiers and generate a ton of hype and energized sales. This would also explain why we don't really get bumps in VRAM for yet another generation. Um, well, the first thing I'll just snip in the butt on this question is the VRAM thing. It's not as planned forced obsolescence I think people suspect it is. I was told directly by source actually a couple days ago at NVIDIA that they had a 192-bit 4060 planned. Mm. Um, and that would have probably, of course, been about 20% stronger uh, which they would have also used for the 4060 Ti, undoubtedly, then. And, I'm sorry, they had a 192-bit 106 die planned. So I don't know mm -hmm. if they would have used that for the 4060, but the 4060 Ti. And that would have been 500, been 10, 20% faster. But that they 
saw DRAM costing twice as much when they finalized the hard design, and they weren't confident DRAM pricing will go back to normal. So they said a little bit of that, and then a little bit of, and the person admitted this, hubris. (laughs) (laughs) And they decided to go with the 8 gigabyte design. And uh, yeah, I think this person thinks it was probably a mistake. Uh, They think 107 is fine where it is, but they should have used 192-bit bus or 106. It wasn't all hubris. It was only partially hubris. As for everything else, absolutely. I mean, the, they put the DLSS3 chart on the 4080 12 gigabyte, which they now call the 4070 Ti. I think for sure, I know we've been saying this on this channel a lot, right, Dan? NVIDIA th- was is hoping reviewers would just buy, go along with DLSS3's real frames, number one. And number two, that moving forward, nodes are only getting more expensive. And while they have all of the mind share, they were just hoping to get people used to $1,200 80s, like 800 or depending on how you look at it, to $600 70s, and so on and so forth, so that when they need to, they can just keep pricing fixed per tier there. And yeah, I mean, if, if they need to go all out with the next generation, they can kind of just save the performance uplift <laughs> for the next gen besides the 4090. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... Uh, obviously what's happening is they're prioritizing AI, whether it's this deliberate thing to like uh, skimp the like gaming market or something is I think less realistic because it's just, well, this is the Silicon we have and we're going to put it in the place that's going to give us more money. Uh, as for if they can do two generations of performance uplift, I mean, I, I don't know. I think at the top end, there had a pretty good generational uplift from the 4090 to the, I mean, to, from right. The but most people aren't buying the 4090. So I'm aware. Kind of saying, yeah, but what we'll do then is we'll just bring out a 50, 60. That's over double the performance. And it's because this one isn't stronger than the previous gen. Uh, I mean, maybe it's possible. <laughs> that's not really a technological thing. That's just, they actually brand their things in line with how they previously did it in this generation that's what he's saying is they can just wait to do that when they have competition yeah maybe and this generation is just i think in it it's either an attempt to push up the gaming market pricing uh tier wise ratchet it up one more time and it's failing or like you said they don't care (laughs) about the gaming market that much right now and they think that they can withstand it sell at these prices yeah, I think so. I don't think they intended to do it this hard. I think the sales, and I've been told this, are definitely lower than they expected, even lower than expecting to maybe sell worse than Ampere. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it, at least it, AI is a get-out-of-jail-free card for the time being, is what it turns out. Yeah. Um, at least for their financials compared to if they didn't have that. Um, Mark writes in, says, I am curious of your thoughts on NVIDIA's early embargo for 4060 performance for reviewers only when they obey very specific guidelines. Is this more or less harmful to consumers than AMD allegedly blocking competing upscaling technologies from being added to certain games? Well, number one, AMD hasn't blocked upscaling technologies to future games. I've reached out to developers. There are no requirements for that. So I don't we'll get to that story soon, but they're not. Uh, so from that point of view, it's infinitely more harmful because what you said doesn't exist. But I mean, I, I you know, honestly, if this actually flew by and it just everyone bit like everyone, Gamers Nexus, Hardware Unboxed, Linus Tech Tips, instead of giving them the finger or laughing out loud the second they offered it, 
which is I heard one of the reviewers did that just started laughing when they said, <laughs> would you do this? Um, you know, if they all took the deal, that would be harmful, uh, very harmful. And I still think it's harmful. But actually, because most of them didn't, it just kind of makes them look the ones that did look silly. It just means the reviewers that everyone already doesn't take seriously or take as being someone with any level of um, not credibility, but um, maybe credibility, but also like integrity. Like the, the uh, most of the reviewers that took this deal aren't people known for not already being shills for NVIDIA, I would argue. So, I mean, all, all this did is make it more obvious which channels are shills. And I would actually argue it may have helped us because <laughs> now we just know for sure who will get who will just put out an ad release for NVIDIA so that they can undercut their peers that or the people they call colleagues. It's just a really bad look. And some people have danced around saying it. I, I'm not going to call out channels because I'm just bored by that the concept of doing that. I don't think it helps anything. But also the people who, do, who did this, I mean, it's basically they took a bribe for NVIDIA. And, and now you know which channels would take a bribe for NVIDIA because it is a bribe. Like, you're posting reviews before everyone else. That will get you more money. That will get you more views. You aren't at a level playing field. It's a way of basically bribing tech YouTubers. And, you know, they were already probably doing stuff like this anyway. So, yeah, I mean, just looking at some of them, the framing of their reviews was pretty gross, like saying that getting information to, co to consumers uh, sooner is actually better for you. Um, when it's tainted information, so it doesn't really matter that it's getting to me. They wanted but, to get more clicks first. That's why they did it, and they can dress up that turd however they want. Yeah, I know. It's just really funny watching a person, watching people waffle around trying to like the trying to say the most positive thing they can about a card that they know sucks. <laughs> well, that was funny too. Is you know some of the channels I watch that got. <laughs> That put out a, uh, you know, the forty sixty puff pieces. They couldn't even make them puff pieces. It was impossible to like because there were just there was just too many examples of the thing just not working well. I mean, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So ultimately, I think it may have helped us because of how silly it looked. Well, I mean, that, yeah, in that. another situation, it may have hurt a lot if everyone felt pressured to buy into this, and you know, but they didn't, and it it. It just made everyone go, okay, yep. So again, we we, we well, were suspecting you're a shill. We know you are. No, ultimately, the biggest the biggest benchmarkers didn't end up doing it. Or I, I, I guess I should the benchmarkers that I perceive have the most integrity at least didn't buy into it at all. So mm. I don't know if they're the biggest in like subscriber count or anything. So, so but they're uh, the ones we pay attention to. Yeah, they didn't do it. So I think the industry of benchmarking is still fine yeah if we want to call it an industry um QH, but but if that becomes a regular practice though it's very yeah. harmful oh yeah that. for the first half of this year have you felt like a dog chasing its tail as you scour cd websites in ebay to find any place you can get reasonably priced Microsoft products? Well, you don't need to do that anymore. Just go to cdkeyoffer.com, the best place to get Microsoft operating systems, office products, select games, and even some gaming hardware peripherals for reasonable prices. And you know, they're always doing special promotions. Right now, in fact, they are doing their mid-year sales event that you're not gonna wanna miss. So whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or of course, Microsoft, 
products or gaming peripherals, support Moore's Law is Dead by using the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products and DieShrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting one of our best long-term sponsors, cdkeyoffer.com today. Uh, QH Freddy writes in, it's only been a month and the 7600 is showing up for 250. Why do you think AMD is so reluctant to launch at a reasonable price if they're willing to drop it so soon after launch? I think AMD partners are pressuring AMD to raise a MSRP so that expensive aftermarket models don't seem as inflated. Yeah, I don't know either way on the second one. I guess it's certainly possible because uh, AIB is, there has been pushback before. Like, I mean, that's why the 3060 12 gigabyte existed according to Gamers Nexus reporting as AIB said, you want us to sell a six gigabyte 3060 for 250, we can't do it. Figure out some other option and mm -hmm. like, we can't do it. So maybe a little bit on that. But I mean, I just don't, I, I thought about this I don't think AMD cares if it drops $20 a month after it comes out. I mean, this is how graphics card launches worked a decade ago. Again, people keep bringing up the good old days. In the good old days, a card would come out that's slightly more than the previous gen street pricing, and then a month later, it'd be $20 cheaper than MSRP. You remember that with like the 580? Yeah. That's just how things usually work. Now, if it the 7900 XT is a different example because it's dropped hundreds of dollars. You know, I mean, that was stupid. But my memory of the like of MSRP was generally speaking, it was kind of like almost like the middle of the pricing you could find uh, a few months after launch. So you would have some premium models that are more expensive. You would have some models that were at MSRP and then you would have the lower end models uh, that are at uh, that are below MSRP, like things with like cheap blower coolers that they skimped on the cooler a little bit so they could sell it for like 30 bucks less. So yeah, I, I, maybe that's just a holdover that they don't care. And for being honest, it's really, it's really been one generation where things were just permanently increased, uh, inflated above MSRP for pretty much all cards. Yeah, I mean, actually, let me let me look at least that in up. my that's memory. A, no, that's a very good point. I think so. Um, besides Pascal, I think Pascal stayed above MSRP for about six months. That was another mm, mining no. boom, and there was a big performance increase with good efficiency say the same with the 40 the 480 was at msrp i think for a few months but by the time the 580 was out oh. which is less than a year afterwards yeah like the 580 launches a month later 20 dollars below msrp you mean that, the, that's you mean the uh amd 580 right <laughs> just to be yeah clear. not the gtx okay. that, for some reason i was thinking gtx 480 and 580 at first and i was like wait that failed. No. But, okay. Uh, yeah, but yes, those are both 480 to 580s that launch less than a year between each other. <laughs> yes. But no, I am talking about the recent one. And you know, you look at Turing and prices went down a month or so after launch on some of them. And same thing of like, I don't know. It's it's that's not that abnormal. What's abnormal is when you launch a 7900 XT for 900, no one buys it, and then now it's like 700, like half a year later. That's that's more than usual. Uh, mm -hmm. so I don't know. I, I think the most you can say is it's just a balance from AMD's point of view of, you know, where is it a safe price that they can make and then leave it there. And if someone wants to sell it for less, we're not going to stop them. And like how much of it is, how much of it is worth it to just go, well, now we're going to make it 280 or I mean, 250 and right at 250, some AIBs will get mad, but maybe not enough. 
my guess is 270 was like the lowest they could go that was safe for everybody and wouldn't get a lot of pushback. And they didn't mm-hmm. want to deal with pushback. And they're like, hey, we know which one, which of you can afford to make it cheaper. And I bet you will. And we're not going to stop you. You know? Yeah. Um, all right. Let us then move on from all of this NVIDIA talk then to something much more exciting. Maybe. I guess we'll see. <laughs> uh, story number two. RX 7900 slash 7800 XT 16 gigabyte Navi 3132 hybrid leaked by Moore's Law is dead. On June 22nd, Moore's Law is dead leaked spicy new RDNA 3 details. Of first to note here is that there is a variant of the 40 by 40 Navi 32 package that can actually fit a full Navi 31 GCD. This means AMD can launch Navi 32-like cards that, if they so choose, can offer 70 or even up to 96 compute units in a cheaper mid-range form factor. Although note that Navi 32, even if you put six MCDs in it, can only power four of them through the package. There is only the like you know wiring for 256-bit at most through Navi 32. Uh, this is a big deal because it means AMD can opportunistically launch an RX 7900, which some people are suggesting to me, by the way, everybody is the name they may go with, or a 7800 XT 16 gigabyte card that really only costs $20 more in silicon to produce than existing Navi 32 designs. Remember, Navi 32 boards have cheaper components, more compact, uh, the coolers are cheaper. The, everything about it's cheaper. So if all you do is take a Navi 32 package that can still go on the same PCB as a Navi 32 GCD setup, then you're really only spending the difference in silicon costs, not the difference in memory controller costs, like anything else costs. And, and that makes this a much more economical to launch kind of hybrid card than a lot of people earlier anticipated. Also, this opens the door to AMD launching a 96 compute unit mobile 7900M if they so choose to do because the Navi 32 40x40 package can fit into laptops. So conceivably, AMD can compete with an RTX 4090 laptop edition if they want to this year, although it must also unfortunately be noted that so far no OEMs seem to be ready to partner with AMD for such a powerhouse of a laptop. But anyways, that's the gist of it. AMD can make desktop RX 7900s, which is what some sources suggest it may actually be called for this year, and 7900M 16 gigabyte cards as well. And they really don't cost much more to make than a 60, a 60 compute unit Navi 32 card either. Uh, and expect more leaks, as you can tell, probably <laughs> about these products very soon as well from this channel. So yeah, I thought that this was a pretty big deal getting this picture proving kind of what I've been suggesting for a while and also proving that it's cheaper than even I expected it to be. What did you think about this? No, I I mean, if they can put Navi 31 kind of on laptop, that would be a huge deal where you get, I mean, arguably high-end GPU on a laptop, which would be big for AMD. And then, I don't know, any option to make the card below the 7900 XT uh, cheaper uh, have an overall cheaper package sounds pretty great, <laughs> even mm-hmm. if they're cutting down on the bus width a little bit. But and that also means that they don't have to have as much RAM on it, too, which is they'll will save some money as well. But right, because you know, this because I had heard months ago that AMD was considering a 16 gigabyte version of Navi 31, and I'm like, well, so far they have dummy dies. So they're, a, well, a dummy die on each 7900 XT. So they're wasting 
36 millimeters squared of six nanometer silicon. They're also using similar boards. They're not saving, maybe they're saving like 50 bucks making a 7900 XT and 7900 XTX, uh, unless you use a cheaper cooler, which I guess they usually do. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if they were to go down to a 16 gigabyte model, I'm like, that's a lot of wasted money. But no, it's not. Same board, same cooling as a 60 compute unit model. They just pay a little extra for the worst yields. And I, I honestly, it makes this not a dumb product then, especially because I hear there is like 5% of yields that are just 70 compute unit. And maybe they won't launch this right away. To my knowledge, it kind of sounds like this 7900 is probably going to launch more likely in quarter four or end of quarter three. So, so not right now. And they're just mm-hmm. waiting a whole year to salvage the absolute worst yields that can't become a <laughs> W7800. And then once they have enough for a small launch, they'll launch this product. So maybe not even in the US. I've heard it could also only be launched like oh. in China or something too. But Yeah, that happens sometimes. Yeah, so I don't know. I guess we'll see. It seems much more likely that we'll have some Navi32 products soon. And hopefully they don't call the 60 compute unit model more than a 7800 non-XT. Uh, yeah, this, we'll, we'll see. This sounds like fine at a, as a 7800 XT. Hopefully this isn't a 7900 or something. But if it's a really niche product, maybe it will just end up being that because I don't know. What is that? That's like a almost 30% disabled uh, die. I think so. I think it was like 28% or something. 70, 70 over 96 by. isn't quite 30, but... Yeah, it, it's 27% disabled. Okay. That's a, that's a pretty big... Uh, <laughs> that's a pretty big for to be that defective so i suspect there aren't that many dies that would go to a 7900 yeah that would be like if they were and let's remember this this is not a very big die i mean this would be like if they were disabling 6700 xts down to like 30 compute units yeah like or yeah or less than 30 actually like really closer to 28 like that's mm-hmm. quite cut down for a 300 millimeter square die on such a good node. So they're not going to have a lot of these, but I am told they do have some, they always have some bad yields, no matter how small of a die you make and you got to use them for something. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the only question that is, is the 70, are they going to attempt to make the Navi 22 be the 7,800 XT and the 7,800 or something like that? Navi 32. Yeah. Um, sorry, 32. I believe so. That's what it sounds like to me. Uh, could they call it a 7800 XT? Some people think they will, but I just stand by. That would be completely idiotic if they launch a 7800 XT. That's the same performance as the 6800 XT. It'd be be nonsensical. It'd be nonsensical because it's not going to change its performance. And even if it's the same performance, we'll still just call it the 7800 or you're like, or you're going to be, you're going to be forced to sell this thing for 600 or probably 550 or even 530 do you really want to sell an 800 xt for that much cheaper at launch when you can just because you can sell this for 550 and say it's the 7800 and it's about the same price as last gen with uh well yeah really with like 30 percent more performance and that all sounds good to me but it doesn't the name doesn't change the performance and you're gonna have to sell it for less anyways it's really damaging your brand i really think the same thing about the 7900 you really want the 900 series to now be priced below 700 dollars yeah it would look stupid and and like i don't know they tried this at the 6500 xt in the past and i think that was a marketing disaster imagine if they did the same thing with a high-end or high mid-range card 
too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it would just worse. be stupid. Yeah, they should have called the 6500 XT the 6400. I mean, it, it was silly. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, we'll have to see what they do. But again, I, I can't think, don't think this can be understated. It's exciting to me. They could launch a 96 compute unit laptop card. Remember, they make 24 gigabit per second memory. They could basically make up for the bandwidth deficit, fit it into like 14 inch thin and light laptops. And I mean, you could have something that has almost 7,900 XT performance in a laptop with this thing, and it would cost less to make than NVIDIA's option. It just seems like OEMs don't want it because it is like 10 to 20% less efficient than NVIDIA's. So, mm -hmm. or, or they just don't think anyone wants it, these types of laptops anymore. I don't really know, but it is interesting they could do this if they want to. In fact, I think if they pushed it hard, they could even try to go for the laptop crown, but so far there's no evidence that's going to happen. Unless it, it, that won't happen probably in, unless... And OEM thinks that they can really push NVIDIA's, I mean, push AMD's brand uh, power with graphics, which I, I just don't think is really there at this point. Yeah, with, I mean, with the, graphics specifically. If you're not Dell or HP fighting yet, which I don't think they are, you know, they want to plan things out, have high volume. So that if they're not biting now, they're probably not going to. Like, I guess what we'd probably hope for is this is like some Razer exclusive launch. Like, I could see yeah, that happening. True. Um, where they get it and they're like, we're, we're, you know, this allows them to make a $2,000 laptop that games in 4k and they can offer this where their competitors can't. I think something like that is more likely than HP or Dell biting by now. Cause I just don't, I just don't see it. That's within the realm of possibility. I, I guess. I, I think so. Cause it. I think they could move faster cause their volume's lower. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? We'll have to see. Um, well, I guess let's move on then to a new one then. Uh, story number three, AMD accused of gatekeeping DLSS implementation in games. So I have the write-up and then I'll get your thoughts, Dan. Over the past week, WCCF Tech posted an article alleging AMD prevents developers from adding DLSS into AMD titles. The evidence is nothing as far as this writer can discern. Nothing. I see no evidence. In fact, WCCF Tech reached out and AMD responded. AMD said, in fact... Uh, AMD said, there are a number of games that support only DLSS currently, so why you wouldn't point that out is odd. And then AMD Fidelity FX Super Resolution is an open source technology that supports a variety of GPU architectures, including consoles and competitive solutions. And we believe an open approach that is broadly supported on multiple hardware platforms is the best approach that benefits developers and gamers. AMD is committed to doing what is best for game developers and gamers, and we give developers the flexibility to implement FSR into whichever game they choose. Now, I'm going to pause here. AMD said we give developers flexibility to implement FSR if they want to. There's mm -hmm. nothing here that says that they're preventing anything. And they even point out, of course, that there's plenty of DLSS titles that don't have FSR support. Now, NVIDIA responded by saying... NVIDIA does not and will not block, restrict, discourage, or hinder developers from implementing competitor technologies in any way. We provide the support and tools for all game developers to easily integrate DLSS if they choose, and even created NVIDIA Streamline to make it easier for game developers to add competitive technologies to their games. And that's it. There are games that don't have DLSS support. There are games that don't have FSR. AMD said their technology is optional, open source, and developers are free to implement what they want to. NVIDIA said they don't block things as well. Neither said they do. And furthermore, developers I reached out to 
before we started recording this episode, said there are no limitations on DLSS implementation. Uh, so there we go. A new low in journalism and online outrage reached again. All right. So what did you think, Dan? To some extent, I wish like AMD's PR would just do something more declarative and just say like, no, because this comes off as to some extent a non-statement, um, which I'm tired of. You can just say no. Next question. <laughs> Move on. But I, I have to say the article that popularized this was really poorly researched. Um I'm not even sure where. So they have a list of, I believe, 13 games from AMD and about the same number of games from uh, that and about the same number of NVIDIA sponsored games. Uh, I don't understand what the inclusion criteria was. Um, you can say it's recent games, but games that recently came out that were sponsored by AMD weren't on the list, at, like God of War. And some of those coincidentally have DLSS support. Shocker. Um, so, cause right. Hassan wrote this article at WCCF tech and you're saying there's some list there. I just did I don't, separate I, research um, on my end of the, I asked you to look into the article. My end of it was reaching out to developers and looking at official statements, official statements from both companies basically say nothing. And you know, what I heard from developers is this isn't an issue. You're saying there's a list of games and it just for some reason doesn't include games that are AMD sponsored and have DLSS support, meaning, yeah, they do. They have DLSS support. Yeah, I, I want to be clear because I, I, I just don't understand where this list came from. So presumably he looked at the featured games list on AMD's website because I don't know where you get an entire comprehensive list. Then you just go through AMD and see like what amd like sponsored an ad by them because well amd and nvidia sponsor ads for tons of games is that what we're calling like what is this amd backed game why are there a bunch of amd featured amd games on the amd website that you didn't include in the list some of them to be fair don't have dlss some of them don't have fsr even though so whatever uh a, a lot of the recent games that aren't on the list like god of war i believe horizon both have DLSS. Um, NVIDIA also wasn't a comprehensive list of NVIDIA-sponsored games over the past three years. Nothing in the list makes sense. From my point of view, he pulled like 13 AMD-sponsored games and 13 NVIDIA-sponsored games out of his ass and said, look at these ones have DLSS and these ones don't. <laughs> Yeah, so because, like, you have no idea where this list comes from because it includes some things and doesn't include others. It just seems to randomly include some games and just it's an incomplete list. Yeah. So from my perspective, I, I just don't know what this is. Like, what trend are we observing that, yes, there are games that have FSR that don't have DLSS and AMD paid for some and AMD paid some of those companies which has been, if we're really making a big online stink about it, a thing that's been happening forever is AMD and NVIDIA both sponsoring games. And you can say that's anti-consumer or not if you want. It probably has led to some backroom deals that weren't up super above board. Ideal. Yeah. I don't know which deals were made over the course of the 15 years that, I, or not 15, but like 13 years I've been into PC gaming. 
which of those deals were completely above board, which of them weren't. But it's been happening forever. And now that this outrage mob over this one thing seems bizarre to me. I just think people sometimes have a few days in a row that are slow news days and decide to pull complete nonsense out of their ass. Yeah, like, that's all I can say. And it's just a new low in journalism. And it's terrible. It's it's the worst, some of the worst reporting I've ever seen. And I think I'm most disappointed in people even talking about it. Like, it's great. Like, and, you know, I even looked around and I'm like, didn't 4A Games say they're not adding FSR who's after being sponsored by NVIDIA? Yes. What are we yeah, talking it's, about? It's happened on both ends. And I don't know. What and it's the ultimately their decision. I don't believe there is something in the contract stopping them. I just believe they're not bothering after making the game. Yeah, at the end of the day, I don't know what's in- inspiring those decisions to be made. But if you're going to say that AMD is paying or imply that AMD is uh, paying uh, video games, to, I mean, uh, developers to not implement a- NVIDIA technologies, maybe that's happened before. It's maybe happened before with NVIDIA. The evidence for both is equally high, and it seems odd that this is the one we're choosing to criticize when what you should be criticizing is bad practices in general. This may or may not be one of those instances. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess I can't know what contract was made from every company with AMD or NVIDIA. And I say both because there are plenty of NVIDIA-sponsored titles that seem like they were paid to not use AMD technology. And... But, you know, at least the developers I reached out to said that's never been something proposed by either company. So yeah, I don't think it's standard the, practice if it has happened. Or maybe the companies, once they're sponsored by one of the big GPU manufacturers, it just becomes easier for them to implement one technology over the other. So they Absolutely. use the one they're being sponsored by. Like Mark I, writes in and he says, AMD has not denied blocking DLSS support from most recent AMD-sponsored titles like Jedi Survivor. I wanted your thoughts on this controversy. Well, we just gave you most of our thoughts. Um, Look, most developers don't want to have to implement both. So if they're already sponsored by AMD to use FSR, why would they do both? You know, I think that's a lot of their decision making. And in fact, I think that's probably the decision 4A Games made is they made Metro Games, they have DLSS, and then they didn't bother to add anything else. Mm -hmm. It's not... That they can't probably. I find that unlikely, especially in perpetuity. Maybe there was like a one-year clause, but I, I don't. I don't think so. I think they have a technology that works, and they don't care. Yeah, that's definitely some of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, King Harkinian writes in and asks, "Do you believe that I can adopt a chimp, train it with bananas, and basically a yes/no prompter, and send it to AMD so they have a better qualified personnel for their PR department?" Uh, well, I don't know if you can train the chimp, but if you could, I think it probably would be better. Chimps are pretty smart. You might be able to. I mean, I just, I, I, I think this is an apt point, and some of the more intelligent discuss, uh, points I saw made in the Moore's Laws at Discord, well, this was, story was breaking, I hesitate to call it a story, um, pointed this out that, I mean, really, all AMD had to do was say no, or anything smarter than what they said, and it's obvious nvidia saw the opportunity for a pr attack on amd and they just thought for five seconds about a smart way to do it and Mm -hmm. i just don't know how radeon keeps acting so boneheaded for this past year i mean their marketing seemed decent a couple years ago and now it's just terrible 
Yeah, I don't know what's happened <laughs> with that, but they need they need some change in leadership there. Absolutely. AMD, hire a monkey. <laughs> hire me, pay me. I'll do it. That could be another, you know, like any like it like it just this has to stop, AMD. Like you keep just uh we'll move on. This piece of content is brought to you by the Obsbot Tiny 2. The Obsbot Tiny 2 is a 4K webcam with AI power capabilities that include an ultra-large 1.5 CMOS allowing for excellent color performance, sharper pictures, and more vivid videos for the user, and it can even achieve exceptional imaging in both dim and glaring lighting conditions by combining two native ISOs in the aforementioned CMOS to automatically switch to the appropriate ISO based on lighting conditions. And it also has great auto zoom and auto tracking with a two axis gimbal and deep learning neural network algorithm. And that's right, the Obsbot Tiny 2 can accurately and fluently track targets to keep a person in focus throughout a video. That includes hand tracking, head tracking, and more parts of the body as well, depending on what you tell it to do. And if you are busy walking around while you use this thing, you can use hands-free voice controls or even the included remote that has a built-in laser that's admittedly pretty fun for messing around with my dog as a side bonus. I, all of this is true, by the way. I actually tested it and I was, well, admittedly a bit surprised that it actually worked as well as they said it would. And when it comes to the built-in mic, I gotta say that if I had a bit more sound isolation and dampening in here, and especially if I wasn't using this for podcasts, I just watched to make sure I was never peeking. I actually think this way good enough for a Zoom call or something. And so when I'm looking to build a new studio this year, and I am for Moore's Law is Dead, I think the OBSBOT might actually make a, a pinnacle use as a way for me to make more dynamic videos where I can go around a studio, test things, and talk to you while I'm moving around and working. And this is something that I hadn't considered could be this easy to do with a tiny little device. I genuinely do recommend this product. It's honestly the best camera I've seen for professionals that isn't some $1,000 dedicated camera. It absolutely smokes other wannabe 4K professional webcams. And I'm not gonna name names to be polite, but I've tried them all. You know which ones are popular. This is better than those. And so, well, it's not the cheapest webcam on offer. I honestly think it's the best one. And I honestly think if you were like a budding YouTuber, you might wanna consider using this instead of like a 500 or $1,000 like dedicated camera. Anyways, I could talk about this all day. If you are interested in this product, please make sure you use the link in the description and also the code on screen and in that description as well. Check out the OBSBOT Tiny 2. Support Moore's Law is Dead when you do so today. Brett Summers writes in, Tom, building off of Mark's question here, I see a lot of PCMR threads complaining that Starfield is AMD sponsored and that they're blocking competition. Do they forget about the way it's meant to be played program since the early 2000s? Its original focus was exactly what they are complaining about to be done to AMD. It was used to have games run better or features on NVIDIA hardware that would cripple the competition. Why are PC gamers so short-sighted? Um, I don't think most PC gamers paid any attention to this. And I think that people... This is one of those things where it's like, well, anyone saying this was going to find a reason to trash amd over the weekend or whatever anyway so well i, I mean i have they have these pristine torches and pitchforks that they need to get out every once in a while like it's too clean need to light the torch on fire 
And uh, I don't know. Let's just attack the first random thing uh, we see a story about. Yeah, but it is an apt point. Like the amount of sorry anti-competitive things that Nvidia did against AMD with they bought a physics company and then did nothing with it. They just removed that from being an option mm-hmm. in competition. Uh, uh, I mean, they tessellated entire oceans in Crisis Two that made their performance worse and other people's worser you know like i i don't know i don't know what's going on like they literally have like the way it's what about god the what is it the g-force partner program that was insane mm-hmm. I, I mean I, I don't know the select i don't want to get into whataboutism i'm just saying like yeah, well, this se- art this article has zero evidence and the- i just don't know how this becomes a discussion seemingly in some circles to the same degree as like the GeForce partner program, which almost made several tech tubers stop covering NVIDIA because of how anti-competitive it was. But for all I know, there aren't that many people talking about it. It was a slow news week in a month. A lot of people are on vacation and the only people left to talk were the people who probably should just be going outside and did this instead. This It's just the selective outrage is, is stupid. Like if you're mad at anti-competitive and anti-consumer practices consistently, that's fine. But then there's also the fact that there really isn't a story from as far as I can tell. Both AMD and NVIDIA statements were basically the same thing. Nothing. Yeah. And the facts of the story uh, from the person that broke it, I mean, I would need to go and look more uh, and look at every potential sponsored game to like and every every like sponsored game or every brand deal that AMD and Nvidia have had for the past 3 years or something to definitively see what this hi- person's hypothesis is true but he didn't even take the time to do that himself he didn't explain why he chose the 13 games he did so i don't understand what the story is you show me 20 random data points when there's way more data points than that i don't know what the story is well I think our answer is there isn't a story. <laughs> Unlike yes. the story that is number four, R5 Ryzen 5 5600X3D to be exclusive Micro Center product for do-it-yourself in the United States. Quoting from Tech Power Up, U.S. computer component retailer Micro Center has announced that the store has struck an exclusive deal with AMD to be the sole retailer for the Ryzen 5 5600X3D processor. The CPU is apparently a limited edition release, though it's not clear how limited it will be in terms of available quantities or if there will be any restocks after the initial launch. But the new CPU will launch on the 7th of July and has a base clock of 3.3 gigahertz and a boost clock of 4.4 gigahertz, each 100 megahertz slower than the Ryzen 7 5800X3D. The CPU obviously has six cores based on the name, which results in a total cache of 99 megabytes due to the missing two cores. The TDP remains at 105 watts as well, and it appears that the 5600X3D might just consist of failed 5800X3D chips sold with two cores disabled. Although, from what Tech Power Up understands, there should be OEM availability of the Ryzen 5600X3D based on the sources they have and what they told them, but we don't have any details on which system integrators might be offering the CPU. Micro Center will charge $229.99, which is uh, $220 less than the launch price of the 5800X3D, although right now at Micro Center, the 5800X3D is only $279.99. The Ryzen 5 5600X3D will also be offered will be offered with a discounted price and bought with eligible motherboards, memory bundles from Micro Center as well. Which, yeah, guys, pay attention to those Micro Center links I put in the last um, 
loose ends. Uh, the $25 off thing, I think, applies to this. And you can just get the six core Vcash CPU for like 200 bucks with a $50 off motherboard. I mean, you can practically get this CPU for free with an AM4 motherboard if you use those deals that stack. Um, and the only other thing I'll add to this is, is I can back up what Tech Power Up said. From what I personally hear, uh, the 5600X3D was meant for OEMs, um, but maybe they partnered with Micro Center last minute to get have some of the you know stock they produced able to go to some retailer if they ever have access stock. Uh, and it makes sense to me actually that they chose Micro Center because from what I've heard, um, you know, I won't say which source is which on some of these things, but you know, I talk to a lot of sources mm-hmm. at tons of different retailers. I would say Micro Center itself seems to be one where people love AM4, and it would make sense to me that AMD may partner with them to help them get rid of their remaining AM4 stock, especially also because I hear AM5 is selling well now with all of their discounted bundles. So that makes some sense. And, and just in general, I think the 5600X3D exists as a way for AMD to go to a retailer, Micro Center, or the occasional system integrator. If that system integrator is like, well, you know, mostly... In budget gaming builds, we're selling the six-core wrapped, well, they're really rebranded Alder Lake i5s. And, you know, there's really not a good option against that. We have all these AM4 motherboards to get rid of. AMD can be like, well, here's 500, 5600X3Ds just for you once so you can flush out your remaining AM4 stock. And then will that make you carry Zen 5 or something? I think this is created this SKU, the 5600X3D, as a bargaining chip to help certain customers of AMD get rid of AM4 and low-end gaming builds. That, that's my understanding from talking to people. Uh, but anyways, well, what do you think? I mean, yeah, the fact that it's only going to be at one store, well, not one store, one chain. Uh, <laughs> and, and just the U.S., as far as we can tell, not in any other countries. Yeah, says a lot that this is going to be a pretty low-volume part, I would expect, which... I mean, you would think there's not that many six-core CPUs available for the 5600X3D to, I mean, to disable to a 5600X3D. But I don't know. Like with the X3D, my uh, the Vcash, my understanding is that they can use lower bin co- uh, uh, cores to begin with. So I don't know. Maybe it, it evens a- out to where they stop selling 5600s. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's a a, <laughs> a perfect uh, marriage in confluence of events where. And they have all these kind of bad CPU dies left over, and uh, and Micro Center has a bunch of AM4 car, uh, motherboards they need to get rid of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you know, I really think it's worth pointing out. Um, it really, this really should be a limited edition release because there's really no reason to get this unless there is some store like a Micro Center that has incredible deals on like an AM4 motherboard or you already have one because the 7600X is this price now and it is the same performance, if not better. Yeah, there, there's not can, there's not many people this is for. <laughs> no, there really isn't. And some people are like, well, this is crazy. And it's like, well, yeah, I guess what's Star Citizen apparently benefits from and so does Flight Simulator from um, X3D a ton. And it's like, well, yeah, so for those people who still have AM4, this may actually allow you to get i9-13900K performance if those are the games you play for $230. And that Mm -hmm. isn't what you would get from a 7600X. But on average, the 7600X and 7600 are the same price and better performance. So, like, this this is really for a very few select amount of people. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know that I have anything else to say about this. Do you? No. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a we've reviewed a bunch of Vcash stuff. There's not really much else to say. Yeah. I <laughs> if you live within driving distance of a micro center, this is an option, I guess, for yeah, probably a month. If that, <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. Dragonaut writes in and says, "Hi, Tom and guest or Dan." Do you think AMD will make a 16 core with Vcash stacked on both CCDs on all cores at the same time for the AM5 platform? Uh, if your question is, are they ever going to launch a 16 core 5950 X3D? I think the answer is no. It just doesn't make sense for a bunch of reasons. We've actually talked about multiple broken silicons that I don't want to get back into. Now, would they do this for Zen 5 with an R9 8950 X3D? I think they should. You know, I think. They really kind of botched the Zen 4 lineup a bit with the 50, with the uh, 7900 X3D 12 core. I, I think what they should have done 7800 X3D 8 core, uh, 7950 X3D, all 16 core V cache, and they should have had a 7950 XT 16 core at 6 gigahertz. So if you really do oh, want yeah. the clock speed or mixed workloads, 6 gigahertz model. If you want to use 100 watts while getting the same gaming performance as an i9-13900K, here's this option as well for a bit more money. And I just think those three, no need for the six core, is what they should have done. And I, I would just say my answer is, I don't know if they will, but that is what I think they should do for Zen 5. Um, I mean, what I think I would say is, if games by that time are starting to utilize more than eight cores better than it, it than they are now, it kind of makes sense to make an X3D model for the 8950. Or, or, and all, a, a both uh, CCD Vcash model uh, for the X3D. The problem I have, though, is the way X Vcash exists right now is it hurts, per, it hurts the task that you buy a 16-core for, and it benefits the things you buy an 8-core for. So it kind of makes, I, I get the calculus they made with Vcash only being on one CCD. Like it, the idea I think is to give you the best of both worlds, but in reality, it's like you get slightly better gaming performance. You get a 5,800 X3D basically for gaming that can also, is also way better at, uh, at productivity tasks than a 5,800 X3D, but you're also sacrificing that performance. And I think if a 16 core, with two Vcash dies, you're just hurting that performance even more for probably even less gain in gaming. And if that's the case, if that's where Vcash is next generation, they should just only have the 8-core B, have Vcash, and they just shouldn't have a Vcash model. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I kind of agree. You know, the, the one group that keeps telling me that I talk to frequently that this thing is awesome is developers. Cause they're like, I can run a game like this. And then I have the ability <laughs> to run this application at really high clock speeds. And then I have a little extra multi-threading performance. And I was talking to one of the developers and he goes, and he, t- he said that to me as well. And I said, well, right. But so it's not a big deal though to you that you lose like 5% multi-threading because half of the cores are clocked lower. And he said, no. And I said, so, would it be a big deal if you lost another 5% so you never had to part cores manually? Mm. And he goes, oh, I guess I see your point. If I can lose 5%, why can't I lose 10? And then also there's that benefit of your power consumptions cut crazy down. Yeah, 
he's like, you might have a point. It's like, I know some people have convinced themselves it's the best of both worlds, but it's not like there aren't other benefits. And you can't tell me you want to pay another $50 for your multi-threading to be 5% worse, never have to park cores, never have to worry about scheduling. And then also now it uses 100 watts. Like, if it wasn't for the power consumption thing, I would maybe agree. But it's there. And it's like, dude, you can just put this in a tiny build. This opens up a whole new avenue of like workstations that can be nux sized with 16 cores because of how efficient it is. And I just think that's a more interesting product to me that really fills a niche because then it's actually occupying a niche. Efficient 16 cores or gamers that do some multi-threading. And otherwise, it's really a, a, a pointless thing. I just get the 7950X in my opinion. It's not that much weaker in gaming. And if you need it for multi-threading, you're, that's what you're probably making money from. So don't you want all the multi-threading? That's at least my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the how big of a niche the the people that benefit from having Vcash on 16 cores is. Uh, <laughs> because if it's just game devs, that's, I mean, that's not a not, that's not a tiny industry, but making a product that's literally good for just one industry for CPU seems a bit weird. I yeah. don't know though. If it's if they can sell it to they argued it was can. for a bunch of people, but those are the only people that seem to say anything besides. Yeah, I don't know why they did that. <laughs> yeah. Um but uh anyways, let us move on to story number five. AMD Little Phoenix pictured and specs have now also mostly been confirmed. So here's the write-up because there's actually this is an amalgamation of like five or six links. Over the past week, a gaggle of interesting details have emerged about AMD's Little Phoenix or Phoenix 2 CPU, which was a cost-optimized version of the Phoenix die, first leaked by MLID Moore's Law is Dead as a thing years ago. The details are as follows. The R37440U, uh, a CPU listed as having four cores on AMD's website, notes a 137 millimeter squared die size. This assuredly then means that the 7440U uses a cut down little Phoenix die, and now we know the size of it. Also, this tells us that Zen 4C boosts at least to 3 gigahertz, as that's the base clock of all the cores, and that the big cores, even in one of these hybrid designs of 2 big and 4 little, or really just 2 Zen 4 and 4 Zen 4C, they're really not little cores, can still boost to 4.7 gigahertz or higher, despite the combination. Furthermore, it is alleged that some mobile CPUs are actually going to dual source big and little Phoenix dies as needed, which besides the full little Phoenix die being two Zen 4 and four Zen 4C, apparently it's not an issue because Zen 4C has the same IPC as Zen 4, and they'll just use lower clock speeds for the disabled Phoenix one when necessary. Oh, and indeed, it seems that Moore's Law is Dead was right six months ago about Phoenix 2 or little Phoenix having just four compute units of RDNA 3 when a cryptic tweet said that's how much it had and one of my sources told me that tweet's correct whoever that guy is oh and one last thing it's pictured and surprised it looks like a smaller phoenix <laughs> all right so what did you think about this we be, this, there's a few new details here um honestly versus the old sto- stuff i don't really remember that much what's new here other than it's I would say basically officially confirmed at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it seems cool. 12 threads, super low power. And 
I don't know, probably <laughs> relatively cheap. The uh, you're not really sacrificing that much with the losing that much, I should say, with the C cores, especially for mobile. I don't know. It seems cool. Yeah. The only other thing I can think to bring up about this is the specs of like the memory controller. We now know it at least has 14 PCIe lanes and it still has two memory channels. This is not surprising, but it's worth pointing out because I wasn't quite sure if this would be truly just a Mendocino replacement. Mm -hmm. That's at like 80 or 100 millimeter squared quad core Zen 2, only two RDNA 2 compute unit micro APU. I've kind of, I I think Sonoma Valley, which was going to be the successor to Mendocino, was canceled. And so I'm like, well, is it just because this is a better version of that? Maybe that's why. But I didn't know if that meant it would just have like one, you know, memory Mm -hmm. channel instead of two, if it'd be limited to like 16 gigs of RAM. No, it can, this little APU can support 256 gigabytes of RAM. It does have less PCIe lanes though. So if they brought it to desktop as an R3 model, it would probably force you to use only eight lanes for the graphics card which isn't unheard of i think Cezanne did that too mm-hmm. and then also only have six left over so you'd probably only be able to use two nvme lanes per ssd and then they'd probably yeah. say meant for b650 but i'd say this has just enough pcie lanes where it, it would work is like if they could make this like a you know 150 dollar six core cpu with a small high gpu yeah, I mean, I wouldn't bet money on it because that might be. Well, it, it wouldn't be that confusing next to the seventy six hundred X. Just call it like a seventy five hundred or something, maybe even. Well, I think more likely they would call it an eighty four hundred G. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because I think they're. I've been told they're going to call Phoenix uh, APUs on desktop Ryzen eight thousand, and then maybe use them for budget or something. We'll see. Yeah, huh. uh, yeah. So that that's a possibility. I, I mean, eh, it would be a. Uh, I th- think pretty good budget, co- uh, not card, APU for uh, desktop, depending on how well those Zen 4C cores do in uh, gaming. But I'd suggest they must do fine. I mean, otherwise they wouldn't dual source it. I mean, yes, maybe four of the cores are only running at three gigahertz or something, or maybe 3.2. But as long as two of those cores are hitting five, I don't <laughs> think that's going to make a big difference. Yeah, you know, I, I, it'll be weaker than a 7600X, but if they can sell it for 150 and, you know, make it come with a, I mean, what is it, like an AM1-like cooler because it's 30 watts? I think it's an interesting product. Yeah, I mean, I could see it doing fine. I would just be a little worried that, who knows, maybe you lose like 20% performance versus a 7600X or something. In a couple games. Yeah. Well, Dan, it will be cheaper. What does it matter? <laughs> That's true. That's the point of cheaper um, products. Or it should be cheaper. I mean, I guess I can't promise you it will be. But um, all right, let me move on here to SNES Chalmers, who writes in and says, Tom and Dan, in the most recent previous Broken Silicon News episode, you guys expressed doubt and maybe even some contempt at the idea of pairing Strix Halo with a dedicated GPU. Yeah, I think I, that sounds like something I would do if you propose that. He says, I more or less agree that it's a bit stupid to solder a Blackwell or RDNA 4 GPU to a laptop motherboard with Strix Halo. However, I am a, let's see, however, I'm an Asus ROG Flow X13 owner. That odd duck 13-inch laptop with a Times 8 PCIe hookup for an external GPU 
Mine actually has a Phoenix 7940HS and a 45-watt 4070. Oh, wow, 45-watt. Strix Halo is bound to be at least as capable. Yeah, I think it'll be better than that. With a much simpler motherboard, cooling, and power system, I see this as a perfect use case for Halo. Efficiency suitable for a 13-inch laptop with a respectable GPU performance on battery, better GPU performance still when plugged in, and near desktop caliber graphics when the eGPU is connected. Given that it will support at least 256 gigabytes of RAM like Phoenix and up to 16 cores, these thin and light 13-inch machines could be tiny desktop replacements. And then you plug it into a dock, and boom, you're using a 5090. Just a bit of a counter-argument for why Halo might be good within a dedicated GPU. But I don't think this is a counter. I don't think we ever said it's a dumb idea to like use an external GPU still sometimes uh, if you're using like a full-fledged 5090. We just think it's a waste of time to use a dedicated GPU in a laptop next to this ever. Especially again, keep in mind, you're planning to most of the time use a dedicated GPU, even when it's docked. I don't know why you still wouldn't use Fire Ranger Strix Point then. Like even Strix Point is going to let you game in 1080p and use less energy than Strix Halo. Half the time you'll be at home anyways using a 5090, so... Yeah, I, I I mean, eGPUs I think are going to be remain niche for pretty much ever, unless uh, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe five years they see get wider adoption, but I don't see how you're describing a niche situation where for some reason you need to have the best gaming performance you can have at all times, and. Yeah, I, I guess that's there for you where, like, yeah, you can get an eGPU and you can get the best uh, iGPU on the market, but I don't think that's many people, and I think most people in a similar situation would rather save a little bit of money on their laptop and get, like you said, Strix Point. Um, and then this just couldn't be an argument for DGPUs uh, with a Strix Halo because <laughs> then you're not really uh, making an argument for like something an OEM would do because they're not going to double charge you for having Strix Halo and a DGPU because no one would buy that. No, they're going to use Fire Range if it's high end or like Strix Point or, or maybe even Hawk Point, right? Mm-hmm. With a dedicated GPU. Um, and, you know, none of the conversation we had before had anything to do with eGPUs. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah, eGPUs e- e- in my mind are... It's not that they're not interesting. It's just that when speaking in broad strokes, they're not really worth considering because I think they're for the people that they're for the people that want an eGPU, and there's there's just not that many people, and I don't think it's an actual practical solution for most people. I think one thing that could make it much more practical, though, is something Carbon Cry brought up. I remember in a reader mail recently, which was um, Oculink. Mm-hmm. is just way cheaper than a lot of these other Thunderbolt eGPU solutions in that it literally is just a four NVMe lanes running a GPU and you can get a whole kit for that for like 20 bucks and then get a power supply and the cables. It's like the whole thing's 50 bucks. And then you can just add it to anything. And yeah, it's only four lanes, but at least it costs like 50 bucks or something and you can just add it to anything. I just think yeah, putting Oculink on more things would be a good solution so that it's not expensive. But as long as they require you to buy like a, or the ones, not all of them, the ones that require like a $1,000 GPU enclosure are just silly to me. Yeah. Um, Like just, you can build a whole desktop instead then. I mean, it seems silly. <laughs> um, All right. Let us then move on to the final story. 
This summer, Jesse's excited to lay back and, well, if we are being honest, try to get some of my friends and family to give them their hamburgers, hot dogs, and noodles while we're making dinner and having cookouts. Which, honestly, I don't think she even really cares that much about which piece of human food she gets, whether it's healthy or not. But that's where me and her differ, because I do care. The older I get, the more I notice. The healthier I eat, the better I feel. And that's why I eat Vite Ramen. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers a ton of options for eating healthy, like their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice, and their Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break, whether at the office or working from home. Click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% off a variety of different products, including special bundles just for Moore's fans, raw nudes, if you want to make up your own recipe with these noodles, and other food products and cooking utensils as well. And remember that no matter what you get from Vite Ramen, if you use the link in the description and the offer code, you are supporting Moore's Law is Dead, in addition to supporting this plucky and rapidly growing company. So support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting Vite Ramen today. Intel Raptor Lake R updates. No links on this one. It's a new Intel leak within this episode, and it's all about Raptor Lake refresh. In short, I've been updated from a couple sources, and one of them was willing to be quoted, that says that it seems unlikely the i9-14900K clocks above 6.2 gigahertz. People would be good to remember. I think it was one or two months ago I leaked that Raptor Lake refresh will at least hit 6.2 gigahertz. At this point, I just want to update everybody. Sounds like it's going to be 6.2 maybe 6.3 gigahertz. Nothing in the final testing is hitting above 6.2, according to at least one of my sources. So anything above 6.3 would be a big surprise for me at this point. And I do have some new numbers to report, though. People should overall expect a 4 to 8% higher single threading, which actually might be slightly more than I was expecting, and 8 to 15% higher multi-threading for Raptor Lake Refresh. And also the third thing, the i-branding, as some have been reporting, may indeed stay on desktop uh, this last time, but it is done after that. Everyone I've talked to, people who've been briefed by Intel at OEMs, if they use it for desktop this year, um, that's the last generation to use i. It's just going to be Core 9 or Core Ultra 9. Uh, and that's it. No higher IPC, nothing crazy. Overall, it, this is kind of good enough to be regarded as a new desktop generation. After all, people remember Raptor Lake itself only brought like i think they said up to 10 percent, but it was really more like a five percent single threading increase mm -hmm. over alder lake and i think it did have like 20 to 40 percent higher multi-threading but this is about the same single threading uplift as last gen from intel about half the multi-threading uplift or maybe a third but this is this is an uplift and i guess it might still be called the i9 4900k i do keep saying maybe though because they could change their mind they could decide to just drop the iBranding for another month. I don't believe they've printed the final desktop stuff. So they might still be deciding. And at least some people I talked to at Intel are operating under the assumption that they are dropping i now. So it's weird how like some OEMs I talk to are brief that they're keeping i on desktop. Some of them say they've got to get rid of all of it, but it seems like the overall consensus is they may keep i for desktop and then just do core nine, core seven, core ultra seven, core ultra or core seven. Uh, for mobile already this year. And then that's it. No more eyes, people. 
in the nope. uh, brand name. So yep, I, I don't know. What do you think about this? I guess they fi- finally figured it out. The reason their Intel has been going through so much hardship is that damned I. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. Because no one likes the i7 brand. They they got to get rid of that brand. That's definitely not an asset to the company. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing with that, but whatever. I guess. It, at the end of the day, probably won't be that big of a deal. I don't know what the purpose of having Core and Ultra as two separate things is, un- unless they're going to continue launching uh, two different architectures alongside each other, because that just sounds like it's a weird f- fluke that's happening on a laptop. But, but I did ask about it again. It does seem like it's not just a fluke that's happening, and that's why they're dropping I on laptop this gen. They're saying the gen after that, I is still gone. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of new information as well, I suppose. Yeah. And, and then my only other thought is uh, hopefully they're able to rein in power consumption a little bit with uh, Raptor Lake. But I don't think so, Dan. I, 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 I don't know why I would have any expectation that they would. It's the same architecture. But I think on laptop, I've heard it is like up to 20% more efficient. So I think there will be laptop chips that do get better battery life, do in a lot of scenarios, get a little less hot. But on desktop, I think they're just going to push it to the limit. Yeah, well, that's the strategy they've thought was best in for the past few years. So, and the, the I don't know. It's just Raptor Lake kind of was the height of that absurdity. It would be crazy if it got even worse. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, benchmarks right now for some stuff on tech, on tech Spot slash Hardware Unboxed. I'm just thinking, like, if they add another... Five percent in gaming performance. I mean, I think it's just going to tie the seven nine fifty X three D. Like it's yeah. going to tie it in gaming. Yes, if you use absurdly expensive RAM kits and push <laughs> it hard, it might win by one percent. I, I don't know, but there's going to be some games where X three D, of course, wins by like forty percent. Um, and then in multi threading, I mean, yeah, in multi threading, this should allow Intel to finally be able to claim they have the multi threading crown at least. So. It's enough of an uplift that this will basically be, let's see here. Yeah, this will allow Intel to say they have the strongest multi-core and they'll be able to argue they win gaming, although it's really going to be a tie. So, you know, it's interesting. It all comes down to pricing. But, you know, when I see what's going on with Zen 4 pricing, it's just unless they're willing to sell the 14900K for uh, $500, I I think AMD is going to be selling the the 7950X for $500. So, are you going to pay 20% more for 10% more performance and double the power consumption? I don't know. I guess we'll see. And also with the knowledge that any Zen 4 chip you get could upgrade to Zen 6 years from now or Zen 5, from what I'm hearing basically in seven months <laughs> from now. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure some people will buy it, but it's not that convincing of a, <laughs> of a new arc- or, or of a new product line. The yeah, the only the only th- other thing I could add to this is there's some hesitancy that there will be a 14900KS. I don't think it would surprise anybody for me to say that, but they think the 14900K may really tap this thing out. Okay. Like, and I did, I have asked, because I'm like, is there a 6.5 gigahertz 14900KS? Right now, it doesn't sound like it. Well, I'm c- kind of hoping not, because the KS models just seem to be like the, the model that make that looks really stupid and an attempt to win a gaming crown or something to add two percent more performance for 200 more dollars (laughs) for just 200 more dollars you can get 
107 versus 105 frames per second in this game. <laughs> Balto writes in, Hey, it seems like Intel's new node, Intel 4, is going well, and they are planning on launching Raptor Lake Refresh right before it, though. So, anyways, my question is, why is the Raptor Lake Refresh still on Intel's current Intel 7 or 10 nanometer node? Can't they port Raptor Lake to Intel 4? Well, yes, but when they ported uh, Ice Lake to 14 nanometer, 10 nanometer was in a... <laughs> I mean, the newest node was in such a worse shape they had to, or they weren't going to have anything to launch next to Zen 3. So, like, that, you know, that whole Cypress Cove Rocket Lake situation is different. Um, you know, like, right now, if you think about it, this node's actually doing quite well. And, I mean, it takes time to port. Uh, that's what my point was. Sorry, I got a little <laughs> lightheaded there. So, it meant sense for them to port an architecture to another node because the follow-ups were years away. Mm -hmm. That's why they spent, I don't know, six to eight months making Cypress Cove or something. But if it's going to take them that much time to put Raptor Lake on Intel 4, it'd be better. But by then, they'll be ready to getting ready to launch Arrow Lake. So what's what's the point? And, and, it, and it works well. And they're going to want to use all Intel 4 capacity they can for Meteor Lake to keep laptop market share, which they're in danger of losing mm -hmm. if Phoenix finally is fully out and is allowed to run roughshod over them. And, and you know, in addition to that, Intel 4 is going well, but it's not fantastic. And it's really not until they get, my understanding, till Intel 3 that they really have something fantastic for all product types. You have to understand that in, the way they're doing Intel 4 to Intel 3 and then also Intel... 20A to 18A. I believe then there's going to be like 16A to 14A. Similar pattern. The first one is for a CPU tile. They get it working. They use it for that. The follow-up node is really only 10 to 20% better, but without going into details, has all of the design features figured out to make anything. Does that make sense, Dan? So I don't even, yeah. you know, like, I don't even know how much they can make this on. the. It's meant for a CPU wow. tile. No other part of it. That's it. And it's not going well enough that you wouldn't want to use Intel 7 capacity for a ton of your products. It's not that, it's not that well, ready. It's not ready to replace all of 10 nanometer. Yeah, I mean, basically, then the, the answer is it would be dead in the water uh, because it, would, it can't come out when it needs to. <laughs> yeah. And it wouldn't, yeah, it's just, it just wouldn't be worth it. And they don't, and they also have follow ups in Arrow Lake that aren't years delayed, you know, yet. You know, whereas when they spent the money to port to 14 nanometer for Cypress Cove, they weren't sure 10 nanometer would ever work. So they had to, you know. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that is the last story. Let us now move on to the final wrap up. And so this is, of course, the part where we go through a few links, stories and uh, news from the past two weeks, but there wasn't big enough news to get its own story. Uh, the first one being, um, so yeah, I, the shipments for Sapphire Rapids Xeons was halted due to a firmware issue. I am actually told this is a huge deal and that Sapphire Rapids, as time goes on, it's not just this, mm -hmm. um, links in the description for people who want more details. We're not going to get into it too much, but that if there's a huge bug, they had to halt shipping their products and that there's actually more bugs popping up right now. I may have someone on 
the podcast as a guest um, who's a professional who's been dealing with them. That Sapphire Rapids really has way more issues than people seem to realize that are still being discovered to this day. And it's it's bad, apparently. I mean, yeah, I can't add too much to that, but. Uh, halting a halting a product shipment because there's a bunch of bugs doesn't sound good to me. <laughs> yeah, this individual told me that anyone that thought Sapphire Rapids was a return to form, I nope. mean, there's some customers it's working out okay for, but a lot of them got it, had issues, and said we should have never gone with Intel. We're dropping them for AMD. There's a lot of pretty bad announcements I think possibly coming in the next few months in terms of which customers will be using Intel in the future. And some of it is linked to this. Some of mm-hmm. it's linked to other things like, well, I guess I won't say which one, but Dan Granite Rapids has been pictured. Hmm. It looks like a big boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now this is the SP model, not the AP. So the 80 up to 86 core variant. Um, don't really have anything to add. That's why it's not getting its own story. We have a picture of it. Um, also H 100 was benchmarked in games. Someone hacked it to run some games and apparently it performs worse than Rembrandt. Uh, well, that kind of messes up the thing I just bought, but okay, I guess you're hoping to, uh, pay five, te- pay $50,000 for one of these GPUs to game 10% better like Volta. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess that was a mistake. <laughs> Now, the problem is, though, this doesn't have optimized drivers. Yeah. I can't help but think if it did, it would perform better than this. But I don't know. I Probably. think it was interesting. <laughs> um, also, the A770 limited edition is now discontinued, which some people were arguing about this being the usual fear-mongering about ARC being canceled. Guys, I understand AIBs are still making the A770, but do you also understand that AMD sold reference RDNA 2 cards for years happily and Intel isn't bothering to sell it for more than like six months or I guess seven or eight months? Like, yeah, I mean, what does that tell you about upcoming about the long term support of Alchemist if they won't even make reference cards for an entire year? Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I was out here thinking the A770 was selling gangbusters, but. I, I guess it's not, Tom. <laughs> no. And for those who take a shot every time me and Dan say gangbusters, you may take a shot now. Uh, I've been told I say that a lot. You do. Uh, m- m- no, I, I know I do. <laughs> well, I just completely get bad. Those are just. Um, podcast m- over. Podcast just deleted. <laughs> Deletes channel. Um, Micron has preparing GDDR seven officially for 2024. So this was something I leaked was coming out very soon. Um, a y- last year, yeah, l- last year. And, um, I guess now it's official. Like you have people saying it is coming out. Now, what I heard too, is that AD one Oh two may be able to use slower GDDR seven. Um, but so far I have no evidence. They're actually going to do that. But I think that's an interesting thing to think about if they ever tried to do a Lovelace refresh. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I don't know what I have to say about this because let me just make sure this hasn't been updated. But there's a link in the description. AMD fails to deliver Hyper RX. That's Hyper spelled H I P R hyphen R X. This was a supposedly one-click solution AMD was bringing to graphics cards, where it'll combine super resolution, AMD Radeon Boost, and anti-lag to just hopefully with a click 
give you higher frame rates and lower latency on everything. And they're like, you can argue about if you want to use upscaling or not, but we think we're going to come up with a solution that just automatically makes all games run better for you and you won't be able to notice it. That was supposed to come out the first half of the year. Of course, now we're in July. Happy 4th of July, Americans. Uh, <laughs> and the AMD said nothing. Right. Uh, that's one of the things that... Was that announced at the RDNA 3 reveal? Yeah. That, that's one of those things where it does make me nervous if how much bullshitting AMD was doing at that reveal. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Some of it does feel like they're like, well, we'll go. We need to announce these t- uh, competitor technologies that even if they didn't really know what they were yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, when I could FSR three be ready uh, before we expect it, you know, the original FSR actually came out months before we thought it would. Right. If you'll mm-hmm. remember just out of nowhere, there are rumors. And it's like, Oh, I guess it's ready. Um, I can't rule that out happening, but I do wonder if like FSR three, although I think by the time it comes out, will be an interesting solution. Um, I don't think they were necessarily already working on it when they announced it. And I'd say, yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah. Hyper RX is going to be good and is a cool solution. They really had no clue when this thing would be ready. I mean, I really just want to see uh, AMD fluid frames. I want to see how they can innovate their solution to make half of your frames look like shit. <laughs> uh yeah, you know, I'll tell you what, Dan, one of my sources was mad you said that on a recent podcast. <laughs> I don't know if you can guess which company, but <laughs> just but I, saying it like know, it is. Just saying it. Th- this is Dan's opinion for that person. All right. Um, let us then move on to the final reader mails. So QH Freddy writes in and says, even if the AI boom is just a bubble, like you guys said it could be in a recent episode, wouldn't you agree that we are still going to follow the trend of people always find new things to do with extra compute they were given? Does that really mean your points about maybe NVIDIA having all of their eggs in one basket doesn't apply? People just use it for something else? Um, Well, first of all, yes, this is something that we've said before many times. An example I bring up is when Vega Frontier came out. There were these Reddit, there were multiple posts to Reddit of people who built what looked like mining rigs with Vega Frontiers. It wasn't. He said, I now have a like, what was it? A 50 teraflop rendering farm that <laughs> used to cost 10 times as much just five years ago. I know it looks like a mining rig, but I'm using this to make movies for like film students at college and add special effects to these indie movies no one thought they could afford to do. So it's not just mining. People are, are going to see teraflops and use them for so many things. Now AI's here. A lot of people doing hobbyist things with AI all of a sudden. Teraflops is money. Like, it's not just for gaming. So I agree, QH Freddy. People will always find things to use compute for. But to me and Dan's point that, you know, maybe right now people are going to use their cards for AI. What if they don't in the future? Could this be a big issue for NVIDIA? AI isn't the same as all compute. And there's a lot of companies making, you know, their own custom bespoke hardware to run their exact AI models how they want to. There's another company, AMD, that is using chiplets to make custom versions of more general compute. Remember the MI300X, they're calling it an AI chip because they have to make investors get hard right now. But let's be honest, the MI300X is just a good compute chip. Mm Mm-hmm. 
right? It, that is what it was first and foremost. And so if the AI bubble pops, I think a lot of the advantages NVIDIA had with their compute cards is gone. And one company is making something with bigger specs. So that that's our point, right? Yeah, and I just think more broadly, um, yeah, Every bu- I mean, every new technology like inevitably produces a bubble that pops eventually. That doesn't mean that nothing in the bubble that was created in that bubble is useful. Like Amazon was made in the dot-com bubble, and I don't think <laughs> that clearly has succeeded. Yeah, um, so is Pets.com. Yeah, but it's just when you're selling a bunch of hardware, uh, the people that are producing the AI hardware are obviously going to benefit greatly from it for the for that time but if they go all in on uh ai or amd starts going all in on ai and that bubble bursts yes there are going to be useful companies that were created out of that ai bubble but then there's just going to be a bunch of models that amd and nvidia put uh, money into that do nothing now because Mm -hmm. the companies that are successful are already successful and maybe the market for the hardware itself has already been partially saturated and we're not saying NVIDIA is going to go out of business if the AI bubble popped too soon or sooner than they expected before they could have a GPU generation people actually want to buy. But mm-hmm. I, I do think that, you know, it takes time to pivot to a new focus, usually, um, at least a little bit. And so they might have a lot of tensor cards that aren't as useful as they thought they were. And if they just want raw compute, I know which company as the compute chip, the MI300X, mm-hmm. right? That's our point, is just like, if the AI bubble pops, NVIDIA will find something else to use their graphics cards for, and they'll make new graphics cards that are good at the newest trends. That Absolutely, we agree that that will happen. But we do know that if the AI bubble were to pop too soon, the one thing NVIDIA really has an advantage in is AI. Once you remove that, AMD's compute capabilities are very competitive. So mm-hmm. that's just our point. Potatoes writes in, Hi, Tom and Dan. Over the past year or so, so many PC parts have fallen in price, such as RAM, SSDs, and CPUs. But power supplies have done the opposite, at least in the lower end. In 2021, I got an EVGA 600BQ, 600-watt, 80-plus bronze for $40. If I wanted to get an equivalent one now, it would cost almost 70 unless I wanted to trust a brand like Apiva or Raidmax. Don't do Raidmax. I would say it's inflation, but I doubt there's been over 50% inflation in two years. It depends on the country. Uh, Mm. But no, first of all, on face value, me and you haven't bought a lot of power supplies recently. $70 for a 600-watt bronze. That's what we paid a decade ago, I remember. Yeah, that sounds about right. Despite inflation for a decade. So if anything, power supplies are cheaper, potatoes. and also, you you said in 2021 you got this? Yeah, that's when they were overproducing power supplies for mining rigs. No, this that's is something true. I covered extensively in 2021. I was told that they way overproduced power supplies for two reasons. One was for miners. Two was because they knew they could get retailers to accept absurd deals. Like I heard there was one AIB that was going, if you want a 3080, you need to buy two of our power supplies with it. And some retailers were saying, tell you what, we'll pay you $100 for each power supply. Don't ship it, deal? (laughs) (laughs) Like You can throw it in the trash yourself because we just want that graphics card to sell. And that was a big issue. And I heard there were just warehouses of extra power supplies in 2021. Yeah, that's when you got it. 
It was super cheap. And it doesn't surprise me that two years later, by now, it's leveling out, especially after Gen 5 PCIe is becoming a thing. I imagine a lot of power supply manufacturers said, well, we made way too many power supplies. And this is in 2022. Gen 5's coming out, so let's just pivot to new models and stop producing anything. Because a lot of those power supplies are basically the same design they were making for 10 years. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's no surprise 2023, the one component that hasn't gone down in price is power supplies at all. Like, the time to buy a power supply, and I think I said this in episodes, if you remember, Dan, was yeah, during yeah. the mining boom. And or the, at the end of the mining boom, I should say. Yeah, and then the only thing that's another possibility, I don't know power supplies well enough, like what, well, I'm assuming there's a lot of copper in a power supply, but I don't know if there's like some other rare metal and other types of metals and power supplies that like win it increased in price over that period of time i guess that's also always a possibility but oh yeah and that could be something that hasn't gone down with other stuff for sure maybe because it's just raw components much more so than silicon where you're buying the tech or the drivers or something yeah um brett summers writes in hello tom and dan out of the sony ftc versus microsoft hearing microsoft stated that they expect next gen to hit in 2028 that seems a bit long in the tooth for this generation Think end of gen, seventh gen consoles. What are your thoughts on this? And P.S. I'm working through broken silicon 199 and die shrink 96 in order and trying to catch up to you. So I'm sorry if you've already answered this question, but I'm here back to support you guys anyways and catching up as quick as possible. We appreciate the support, Brett Summers. Thank you for plugging die shrink, which only patrons get access to. Um, but I don't know. Is 20, 2028 doesn't seem too late to me, but it feels it feels I would, like I, I, don't I, I would expect point. more 2026 to 2027, but I don't know if the consoles are delivering performance well up until 2028. I don't see why they wouldn't release in 2028. Right. And it kind of seems like there's going to be a pro PlayStation 5 console. I know Microsoft has acted like they're not going to launch one, but from what I heard, they weren't preparing a new die necessarily, or they, although they designed one, uh, that they might just be going with giving the Series X a full 20 gigabytes on a unified amount of RAM. So this ridiculous split memory thing, mm-hmm. and then maybe putting it on six nanometer, clocking it 10% faster using faster RAM. I mean, all those things combined could boost performance 40, 50% just yeah, doing I, that. And assuming a mid-gen refresh, I don't think 2028 is too late. No, because pandemic did delay things. I mean, and the shortages did too. So there's a chance, you know, we'll see like next year, or something like a ser- maybe maybe end of this year. I don't think that's what I was told though. A Series X, Series S refresh with better specs, but the same dies. Just you know, clocking them faster, adding more RAM, maybe. And then the PS5 Pro comes out at the end of next year, actually twice as good, so a little stronger than the Series X refresh, Series X Elite, whatever they call it. And if that happens, eh, then four years before the new one, eh, it wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't call it too late. I would still just say. I don't think I want any pros or refreshes just launched in 2026 with a new thing if the architectures are there. And that's the only other thing I'd say is if Sony's like, you know, or Microsoft is like, well, RDNA 6 is the big one. RDNA, it was a good idea that they waited for Zen 2 and RDNA 2 is mm. what I'm saying. And maybe if there's a perfect one they know is on the horizon, they'll want to wait for that. And maybe that's why. And And they might want to wait longer to justify the fact that I know they're going to almost certainly charge six to seven hundred dollars for the next gen consoles, and they're going to want it to feel like a massive uplift. Uh, yeah, that's true. All right, Root Knight writes in at the end of Broken Silicon. 
211. You and sadly, it's Bradley talked about 2D games being made to look 3D. And it gave me an idea. Could VR succeed where 3D TVs failed? Could we actually see a future where we get 3D movies again tailored for headsets? I mean, 3D isn't gone. What the new Avatar has it. I think we're going to forever occasionally see 3D movies in theaters. And a lot of 4K TVs just have 3D capability because I think they like dither back and forth between 1080p Mm -hmm. images. So these are things that I think we have the technology to use forever. It's just most movies don't want to be 3D. Um, So will VR succeed where 3D TVs didn't? I don't know. I just I think the 3D TV thing is funny because it was this weird assumption manufacturers have that everything would be 3d i don't think 3d failed i just think the idea that everything has to be 3d was ridiculous yeah i mean i don't know i don't know if i want more things being tailored for 3d to be honest so if it helps and it makes sense then do it but i don't i don't i don't know i think vr is going to succeed as vr i don't think it's going to bring back more 3d movies because i feel like that implies that so we're going to start making movies that are made for vr I don't or, or even just for 3D, since we know people have headsets to watch them. Yeah, I guess, but I don't know. We'll see in like five or six years. I mean, Apple Apple finally announced their VR device, and they managed to ram through everything and make it popular, like a Apple Watch and stuff. Well, this is way more expensive than anything they've ever tried to put out, or, or yeah. any like general consumer device that they've tried to put out. So. We'll see if they can manage to do it. And if they do, I'm sure people will figure out to do more with a VR (laughs) than what it currently does. But again, well, there might be the one movie only on Apple TV plus that's in 3d use your VR headset. I don't see it at a macro level changing anything. If no, there will be 3d movies forever every now and then they won't all be. And I think if VR succeeds, it's because VR succeeded, not because it was a chance to bring back more 3D video content necessarily. Mm-hmm. That will just exist with the VR. I don't I don't think it'll be because of it. Yeah. Uh, but at least that is my opinion. And uh, that's pretty much the last opinion I have for this episode. Besides that, my opinion is you should make sure you're subscribed to the Moore's Laws Dead YouTube channel and ring the bell button. A lot of you, like half of the viewers, apparently aren't subscribed. That really helps us a lot for multiple reasons if we gain subscribers. So please double check that you're subscribed there. Subscribe to us on podcast apps of your choosing. Please do give us a review, by the way, on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast apps, both ideally, because that really does help the podcast algorithm a lot. And you guys would be surprised. It's been dropping a little, but like a year ago, I'd say a third of our patrons came because they discovered us through a podcast app. Give us a review on podcast apps that will help us boost those numbers a bit more and find people that might be interested in this content that aren't just people who are watching YouTube like most of the people here are. But, you know, otherwise, we thank you for your support. Support our sponsors. Support us on uh, Patreon. A new die shrink just came out looking at, like, what anti-competitive means and looking at a lot of recent news stories. Um, and that's just like another one over one hour video, uh, yeah. there for you guys. If you support us for just, just $2 a month, you get that. And of course you can ask us questions, ad free early versions of broken Silicon. There's a ton of content out there. Uh, if you have just $2 a month, um, but otherwise that's all I have left to say. I'm getting tired and rambling. I think any last words, Dan? No, I don't think so.
Okay. Well, I don't think you do either. So good. Bye. Bye, everyone. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawisdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly possible. Every month, and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guest questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it, the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Foles, Jits, Daniel D, Aaron Close, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Brian Riggleman, Sam Miller, MJB1, Deke, GZ Ziggy, SNAS Chalmers, Jerem Ferriera, Andrew S, Falco Malev, General Drips, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Eric Jackson, Sarcastro, Evan Dingle, Greg Guanchek, Chris Rich, Nicholas Buckner, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Jesse Jaskowiak, 3DS Boy 08, Hal Buma, Blake, Hardforum.com, Franco Frederick, Shredbird, Dr. Forbin, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Zlicky, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, Stefan Hart, Meet and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Ian Clifford, Travis Gooding, Nanyan, Sammy Malas, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Crow, Stefan, Jordan Simkovic, Amiable Chief, Aaron, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Julian Leaked, I Should, Mark Raidmaker, The Boss Haas, James Anderson, Cole Addict, Judson N, Cameron, Wesley Sager, 
Henry Zhang, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Roger Davies, Cameron, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Meyer Tech Rants, Reginald Ari, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, Frank Zelensky, Neithra Zinc, The Eternal Dreamers, JSMMH, Game and Since Reagan, Jeff Settler, AWS Danny, Loophole35, Windstar, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shea, Milton, Pulse Media, Dave Schultz, Mac Daffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glidden, Brett Jones, Hassan Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I-7-11-700K, Joefoot, Hardland, Schlushboss, C2, Jansen Angima, Joseph Kelly, Samuel Park, Keith Moore, Him Sagung, Tails 2299, Stephen Santiago, John Sifos, Earth Taurus, The Forbidden Juice, Fenty CZ, Kiko Sato, Toka, RV Racers, Fen, Their Jansen, AC, Clint Sundin, Ben, Michael Cozy, Dr. J Man, Alex Vega, Freedy, John Swin, Rodent, PC, Joey Strong, Brian Wright, Tim 1K, Joe LaMartina, Kikum, Elver Gunn, Solarized 80, Christopher Ricks, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>